0: Welcome to the Be Effective podcast. This episode is brought to you by Effective Fitness Training. EFT is a performance-driven fitness program designed to improve overall performance, strength, stamina, mobility, agility, and the list goes on. Developed for those who want the most comprehensive fitness plan available. Created by our team of physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists, and a team of active and former law enforcement, now with over 100 years combined experience, the team is growing. July this year, we'll be launching our EFT combatives program, headed up by Mr. Jay Wadsworth. Jay is going to be the director of EFTCP, going to be having online courses, as well as in-person workshops, everything from intro classes to instructor, all the way to advanced instructor classes, whether that be individual officer or for agencies. So stand by for more information on that. We'll keep you guys posted on the podcast as well. But to get on EFT... Use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the life of your membership. Episode 42, Mr. Josh Coleman and Kenny Van Dyke. Josh and Kenny have a combined 25 years experience as police officers and currently serve a sheriff's office in Northern California. They have a broad history of practical use of force experience and also enjoy training mixed martial arts. Josh is a blue belt, Kenny is a brown belt. Tell by Kenny's ears, he's got a little cauliflower going on. They also are both instructors and board members for the California Force Instructors Association, also known as CALFIA. In this episode, we talk about the importance of fitness, training, and their experience, and how their association is going to change the standard. Before this episode starts, be sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. Episode 42.
1: So, I know I know, I listened to your podcast, man, and like you're really good very well I, I just want one first and foremost I want to tell you that you're doing a phenomenal job yeah. you're doing a phenomenal job dude I see the podcast forum being a good place for guys to get good information to and from work we're all busy we all have busy schedules yeah. and anything like that. so I want to thank you for letting us have on or let letting us come on. But my name is Josh Coleman. Um, I've been in law enforcement for 15 years. Well, I've been actually been in law enforcement for 18 years. It started when I was 20 years old in the cadet program at an agency uh, in, in the Bay Area. I'm going to do what everybody else does just because, you know, I don't want to dime any, any particular agencies out That's or anything it. like that. Um, started there, uh, went through, uh, got my BA, went through the academy bounced around a little bit between different departments only because the agency that I was um, that I was employed with first uh, was the first agency in California to file bankruptcy. There's a clue. Um, and, uh, and then, <laughs> and then uh, I was going to get laid off. So then I went to another San Francisco Bay Area uh, agency, worked there for a couple of years, uh, worked in narcotics. That's where I met Ken. Then I went back to the first agency that I worked at, uh, cause I had some unfinished business. Uh, I lost a colleague in 2011, he was killed. Uh, and I felt a very strong. It was a very, very good, uh, camaraderie at that agency. And I felt a very strong pull to go back, uh, went back, uh, went through my own trials and tribulations as a lot of your guests have, have talked about, um, uh, became a use of force instructor, uh, um, was always had a big foundation in just in jujitsu. I got it in, when I was in the cadet program, actually, one of my mentors, his name was, uh, Joe Ikono. Um, he was a brown belt in jiu Jitsu and he introduced me to jiu Jitsu before I became a police officer. Um, so specifically with training, my story with with use of force training started as a cop. like I didn't get into martial arts outside of law enforcement as something I love and then and then kind of tie it in. I started it as a cop and that's been my context throughout my whole life. It's always been, survival training to me. And it's not uh, like a a sport for me. Um, so he hooked me up with Jerry Bolander. Many of you guys listening, um, might know who that is. He works at a Northern California sheriff's office. Um, and he runs, um, a school teaching guys MMA. So I got hooked up with him. And then, uh, I eventually, you know, like I stated before, became a use of force instructor, a, a DT defensive tactics, although that's an antiquated term. And, uh, kind of started my instructorship in that regard um went through like as i stated a lot of experiences from the whole use of force range and not to sound like douchey or anything like that but like i've been in been in fights and i've been in officer involved shootings and my last one being an ambush in 2016 um that i was survived miraculously and uh then after that lateral to uh, that sheriff's office where um where all my friends and colleagues worked at, which is in the Northern California um, area. Then we got into, you know, I started getting into some teaching, teaching up and down the state. And then uh, as I was teaching up and down the state, got hooked up with Tracy McKenzie, who is the president and the founder of the California Force Instructors Association. And that's kind of how my career has gone, uh, 15 years, and nine of nine of it has been immersed in, in use of force. And now I'm on the I'm on the board for the California Force Instructors Association, um, and I'll introduce Kim. Or uh, Kim, introduce himself.
2: Yeah, uh, my story is a little bit uh, opposite of Josh's in regards to use of force. That's kind of was my path to getting into law enforcement. Uh, I was training judo. Uh, I was training with Jerry. Do was um, in jujitsu, the MMA stuff, and uh, decided I was bored selling toilets. I was like, I want to get into law enforcement. And so, the, and a lot of the guys I trained with were. Deputies, so they helped me get in. Kept my training up, kind of on and off. Uh, been with the, the sheriff's office. I've been in uh, Northern California for a little over ten years, and pretty much the whole time I've been in law enforcement, I've been doing something use of force related, and that has grown to be uh, from a dummy <laughs> that get tossed around and beat up to an instructor, and then finally, uh, as Josh mentioned before. Um, on the board of, uh, Calphea.
0: So can you guys kind of explain what Calphia is?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can, uh, I can take that. The Cal, so it, it's grown, right? So, uh, in order to talk about Calphia, I first have to talk about, uh, who started it a little bit. Right. And so, sure. and he's not here being interviewed. He's a busy guy. Um, we're all busy. That's kind of the thing about this association is it's, it's a collective of, uh, you know, you always go, it's funny because I'm going to talk about this, but you always go to classes and you see the same guys at the same classes, right? And so that's essentially what we are, is recognizing that there we are a bond. Uh, we have a bond. We have a collective. Um, it's just been loose and unaffiliated. And so this this thing has, Tracy kind of tied everything together. So Tracy McKenzie is a, um, a training sergeant uh, at an agency in uh, Orange County um, in uh in uh, Southern California, and um, what what happened with Tracy is he essentially he had a wrestling background. Uh, he was a collegiate athlete playing football. Got into law enforcement. Um, always wanted to be a cop. Got into law enforcement. Started working at the um, at an agency in, in Southern California. Um, he was playing actually uh, football for um, law enforcement officers tackle football league, um, which I don't know if you guys have those where you're at, or whatever, but we have one in like Southern California. Like dudes are playing actual like full contact football for their
0: workers cop nightmare
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh he ended up becoming a a, a DT instructor in 2006 um, and then had studied a bunch of different curriculums as a police officer whether it be um, LAPD archon or arrest control um uh one of Don Cameron's schools that he puts puts on uh, Gracie survival tactics Mm etc and also training at the, the Sheriff's Academy but again, he said he kept seeing the same people at these different, these different trainings. And he ended up meeting a dude named Brent Ambrose, who I don't know if he's listening or if somebody knows him. Tracy's been trying to get in contact with that dude for a while, but Brent Ambrose had a small little associate, not like a loose association. And essentially it was like invite, like, Hey, you guys are all instructors. Let's meet up. Let's share information, share techniques, share philosophical teaching methodologies, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and then Brent retired and it kind of fell off. And so Tracy was like, you know what, I want to start a little small group. And basically what he started doing is emailing the instructors in Orange County saying, hey, let's meet up on this date and let's kind of get on the same page. Or you show me what you're teaching and I'll show you what we're teaching. And we'll kind of figure this thing out as we push through this constantly changing and evolving uh, you know, police tactics and training. Right. And so uh, in 2000, that was going good. And then essentially in uh, 2000, we started that in 2014. And he had a group of about 20 instructors in in Orange County that used to show up. Um, But in 2000, uh, February of 2020, he decided to finally create a nonprofit organization and call it the Southern California Instructors Association. And the idea was to promote best practices in police training uh, for all agencies and members that were uh, involved. And that's everything from case law to training. And, 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 you know, you, you, a lot of agencies they do the same thing they have someone who promotes right and it's endemic of our culture if somebody promotes um, they become the person who makes the decisions now they may or they may not have a background in that specific subject and but they're making decisions on that subject and so guys have to kind of seek out information in different places and he kind of wanted to be the the association that kind of says like hey in orange county like this is what we're doing well, I, I was teaching for another company, um, teaching des- threat assessment and de-escalation. Um, and I happened to travel down to um, Southern California and I ran into Tracy and we were talking on break and he was like, yeah, man, I'm starting the Southern California Instructor Association, Da 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 da, And I'm like, time out, pause. Do I have to be in Southern California in order to be a part of this association? He's like, no, you don't. I go, okay, cool. Give me a second. I emailed, my, um, I emailed Ken and our instructor cadre um, in the group thread and I'm like, hey, here's this association we need to join. They have a symposium in September. It's going to be these topics or these, these instructors are going to be coming. These lawyers are going to be coming to talk, et cetera, et cetera. Our instructor cadre, the leader of our group is very forward-thinking guy. He's like, let's do it. We paid for it. All of our members joined. We went down to the first uh, symposium and it was amazing. Well, that was in what 2019 2020 1920 uh, It had it been 2020. It was in uh, September of 2020. Between September of 2020 and now, we have grown from not being the social, uh, the Southern California um, Force Instructors Association. We are now an association of 64 plus agencies and almost 400 members. All of which are forced use of force subject matter experts or instructors at their respective agencies uh, across the state. And that's everywhere from Southern California all the way into Northern California. And we have some members that are out of state as well. Um it is amazing. The speed at which this association has grown has been astounding to us. It's also been astounding to some of the people that we've had to be involved in, like post, which is our, you know, police officer standards and training. So it's 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 grown quick and it's It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it sounds
0: you can hear the passion. And I think that's what a lot of people don't don't really understand is all that is well and good Uh, and like having these set um, these set of standards that cops are supposed to meet. But the passion you guys bring to the table, training beyond that standard and really bringing in good information and getting with people like Tracy and Brent and really bringing it together Really speaks volumes for what you guys are doing, and this is and this is why I think it's important to get this information out. Is because we all know that academies and in service training is just it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just check it's the, it's the minimum standard. Yep. It, right now, where does it start at? And this is where you know we can we can kind of venture into some other stuff too. Is is um, there was so there was an officer involved shooting here in South Carolina uh recently i'm not going to go into which one but basically it it was it was not a good shoot right it was it was an unjustified shooting uh and and obviously justice will will probably be served um i hope and um and the reason why it happened is is simple um unfortunately obviously the officer was not prepared for the encounter yeah right But two, we can blame the officer. It's your fault, 100%, you're guilty. Your life is now basically over uh, because of this split second decision that you made. But now we gotta take it back to the agency uh, has subpar hiring standards, right? So they hired a a subpar individual that they're now, you know, have a responsibility to now give them training, but that training is now subpar training,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: And then once they graduate the academy, then they're put into the real world FTO and all that stuff. And then in-service training is, again, just it is what it is. But what you guys are doing is you're trying to bridge that gap between being subpar or not being subpar, but having subpar training to becoming really effective. But does does it seem to you guys that the root of the problem is the beginning of an officer's career? How are you guys addressing that?
1: The big thing for us is, is advocacy. Um, There you go. Perfect. Go ahead.
2: If you're talking about advocacy, like uh, going back to, I can't give Tracy enough credit into creating this beast. I remember, you know, back in 2014, when Ferguson had, no law enforcement agencies were coming out, given the facts of that use of force encounter. The only person who was really countering this narrative that's just emotion untethered by fact was uh, Sheriff Clark. And then he disappeared. And I said it for years, I'm like we have no narrative. We have no narrative countering this, uh, this inaccurate information that's out. No organization, no body's doing it. And it was just a good idea, fairy, until Tracy came along and actually created it. And in yeah. doing that, like we go back to talking about advocacy. Our organization isn't just about training. That's a big part of it, but we are advocating. Uh, we had a bill recently come through AB 490, which was a, uh, a positional asphyxia bill. And looking at that, uh, I don't know if you remember New York had their own yep. um, that prevented placing body weight on individuals they are arresting. Correct. As our bill was going through the legislative process, A, New York's gets kicked down for being constitutionally vague. Correct. So ours, ours is still going. And I looked up the opposition and the proponents and the proponents like two pages worth of people and the opposition was just two agencies. And I'm like, why are we, why are we not as an organization we're showing our opposition to it and maybe getting this collective voice of use of force instructor saying, Hey, this, this doesn't work. Why don't you consult us before you start creating legislation that's just going to continue to make crime more permissible and affecting arrests impermissible. Um, and so that is an avenue we dove into, and we're going to continue to do it. And hopefully, as the organization grows, we'll be able to affect some change. Uh, like Josh mentioned it earlier. Uh, we just were able to help create a training after being invited by Post for the this new bill that was signed into law uh, shortly after Newsom survived his uh, recall, and um, to be able to yeah, <laughs> to be able to do that and be a part of that, and have Post reach out and recognizing us was. Um, it was really cool and, yeah, that means and that's, the legitimacy of our organization.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Because a lot of guys, you know what you hear a lot of these organizations uh-huh. and not to talk shit about other organizations, but they're just what's good uh-huh. training, right? But you guys are actually fixing oh. it. You guys are trying to fix it at the source.
1: So ch- check that yeah. so yeah so tying that back right so like tying that yeah. the back um, your question was like how to fix the beginning part. Right. So we have a problem with we have there's a there's a problem with how Someone becomes a police officer, right? Like there, there is a problem with the beginning. People want to talk about use of force reform, but nobody wants to talk about the actual real issues, right? And Chris. so we had we had um, Obama's Commission, 21st Century Policing. Subject matter experts from all over the nation come, and everyone contributes, and the contribution centers on the tw- uh, the the, uh, the I think it's six pillars of community policing. And there are, or might be seven. Um, and the, there is some issue, there is some stuff that talks about training, but nobody's diving in to the real fundamental issues that deal with decision making. Right. And so in our association, we have all, I'm like, I'm not an expert in, in human performance, but we have access, we have access to experts with human performance and we want those people to be part of our association. I'm not an act, I'm not a expert in in custody death. Um, positional asphyxia is something that's debated. And so I want, I want to be clear for language is important. I want to be clear for the listeners, et cetera. I don't want to perpetuate that those terms any more than they have already been perpetuated, but we have access to these experts. We have been invited as as contributors, subject matter, expert contributors to be a part of crafting, uh, training for statewide stuff relationship or related to some of these bills that are passing, right? And, it, and being in the room and having a voice and being invited, we've advocated, right? And what we've advocated for is the things like that. The bill is called positional asphyxia. It exists because the legislators defined positional asphyxia in law, but that doesn't make it a medical phenomenon, right? So what should you do as an agency and how should you uh, negotiate this bill and the language that it talks about. And for my California people listening, I'm talking about 7286.5 of the government code. Um, how should you negotiate these things? So then we crafted a, a letter after we attempted or after we went down to training, um, what do they call it? A participation of training. Uh, it was a micro course development. After we, after, whatever, the thing, the party, after we were invited to the party, we came back and we drafted our our position letter. And our position letter talks about Hey, listen, this is what you should be considering about policy. This is what you should be considering about uh, with how you, how you negotiate this, et cetera. So going back on the advocacy, um, the advocacy theme, how do we fix the beginning part? It comes from having the conversations that push forth what we know so that. Our leaders, our legislators, our everybody starts to understand what the true issues are. So we can start focusing on the real problems. We're focusing on symptoms. We're not focusing on the cancer. Right. And dude, I'm telling you right now. So meeting you, right. Like seeing you on Instagram, I'm like I want to meet this guy. I want to talk to this guy. I want to bring this guy into our, into our association. Whoever's running this page. I didn't even know who you were. and Now I know what your face looks like, which is a beautiful Hello. face. It's a beautiful <laughs> Thank face. You face. Thank you. So, um, Great. Scam and you should, and you should post more pictures of your face on your Instagram. Just I saying. should,
0: man. You know what <laughs> so, the thing is, is, is I get mostly love, but
1: man, you're yeah. brutal, dude. Yeah. No, the internet person. has no chill, dude. So, <laughs> right. so, um, get, bringing people like you into the fold, we get ideas, right? We get ideas. Dude, I'm listening to your podcast with Chad Lyman and he's talking about, you guys started talking about jujitsu in Florida. And you're talking about the academy and how much jiu jitsu they're doing, and da, da da da. And I got all of a sudden, I'm like, my brain just goes, Poof. Why are we still running in the academy? Why don't we just take out all of the running and all the push ups and the sit ups and the leg lifts and the burpees and the stuff that we do and sub all that time for jiu jitsu? Yeah. If you did that, you could have a f- fucking phenomenal impact on the skill level of an officer leaving the academy. So, What's our plan going forward? To talk about this. We'll talk about it with our board members. We talk about it with our chiefs. We get together what we think are best practices, and we start pushing what we know needs to happen, which is there needs to be a significant shift in how we think about training and use of force in the police profession that we know can contribute to better decision-making.
0: The Be Effective podcast is brought to you by our official uniform sponsor, Flying Cross. Fitness and combatives training are important for any success of any mission. But if your uniform is not functional, it will impact your ability to perform. Flying Cross is a uniform brand that offers comfortable and functional duty apparel and gear designed and tested by some of the most active and respected law enforcement agencies in the nation. They are built with the innovation and technology you need for high performance. Visit FlyingCross.com forward slash EFT and use code EFT20 to receive 20% off any Flying Cross or Vertex products. There's enough experience, enough data, enough information out there to know what cops need.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: There, There is enough. Now, there is no perfect solution. No perfect solution exists. But we're pretty fucking close. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, we know that to put somebody in handcuffs, you must go hands-on. Yeah. We know this. Yep. And so we figure out a way to float them on. There's going to be contact. So why are we not training this critical point to where the data shows where people start to resist, why are we not training these points? Why are we not training these positions? Why, because I, I remember my DT very clearly in the academy and it was two weeks, it was PPCT. And it was, I just remember my training partner, Tim, super good dude, SWAT guy now, he's super high speed, way more high speed than I'll ever be. And him and I would look at each other and go, like, we, we didn't know shit. We we're like, this isn't gonna work. Like, <laughs> what if I just do this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what if I just do this? And it was like, and it was, uh, he was like, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, this is, and this is the thing. I don't know what to do. And then you get this subpar training and then you go on the street and your FTO received also the same subpar training. So now it's like dumb. And then now
1: dumber. It's worse than that. Cause the it problem is just, this, yeah. you, uh, one, one, I need, I need to clarify something. Cause I, I know how, I know how cops can be. I said, why don't we just get, get rid of all the running? I don't mean all of it and just talking about ooh got to piss some people off bro. philosophical i'm just saying philosophically like where <laughs> where are we investing our dollars and our time right so and then two, um what what does ppct mean i know you've heard you talk about it before pressure
0: point control tactics
1: okay so it is a so Imagine. it's
0: a legitimate well i hate to say the word legitimate <laughs> it is a actual system okay that uses uh pressure points and some like wrist locks yeah and uh, A little bit like you know. slash wrestling concepts but they don't do the technique right and it's basically politically correct defensive tactics
1: okay so so that's what I'm talking about like the problem is worse than that so you take okay so you learn this pressure point right and you you trained it you had uh, I'm just gonna throw out arbitrary numbers you had um, 40 hours of that training in the academy uh, with 30 people in the class. And you spent of those uh, forty hours. You spent uh, you chopped it up into five-hour training um, segments. And in those five-hour training segment, one one it's block training. Everyone knows block training from a, from a uh, retention standpoint is terrible. To have to be sitting in the class or on a mat room for five hours, having technique after technique after technique after technique thrown at you, your brain turns off after like forty-five minutes or maybe. And you're, you're done, you're done, you're saturated and you're not, you're not going to retain any of that stuff. And then how many times did you drill that out? Then you go into the field and then you get into some crazy violent encounter and you then have to recall what, right? And so what do people revert to? They revert to their instincts. And so you, it's smash with rock until stop moving, right? And so you got, you see it time and time again, guys will tackle a dude. They have no problem finding out who the suspect is. No problem identifying him, no problem chasing him down. They tackle the guy. And as soon as they tackle the guy, everybody comes, everybody's sitting next to the guy on their knees. Everybody gives up the space and they start lumping and you see it video after video, after video, after video. And it's just soccer dads out in a stressful circumstance responding instinctively. There's no training behind that. It doesn't work.
0: And you've seen it. And I mean, I've, I've actually experienced it. You know, I didn't have the luxury of training jujitsu, Jitsu. Prior to being a cop, Um, Mm -hmm. I was a cop whenever I started training jiu-jitsu and it was because something happened. Luckily, nothing, you know, super critical happened. It was just a really hard slap in the face. Hey, man, your your brain literally just went, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you had no idea what the fuck to do. Just just be honest with yourself. You had no fucking clue. You had zero options, zero routes, zero idea. Your next option was probably to reach for something on your belt right yeah. when actually an arm drag to a back take would have all that's it now how hard is that yeah. right or a simple two-on-one you know russian tie to the ground yeah. if you don't right? train like,
2: it it's very hard
0: yes exactly but like my mind didn't even have those concepts I, there's no way shape or form that i could have done anything with this guy de-escalation was literally my only option de-escalation or tools yeah. Right. And tools automatically escalate automatically. Yeah. Like you reach for your belt, they're automatically going to go. They're already going to start being more aggressive. Yeah. Right. So for me, um, you know, exactly what you guys are saying is, is what I received in the academy, got into something on the street, realized I had no fucking clue what I was doing, then decided to say, Hey, let me just walk into a jujitsu school. And I did. I walked into a Gracie jujitsu school in full uniform. I just gotten off of work. And I, really, I walked in a full uniform because like I wanted to see the vibe when I walked in. I wanted to see if like the fucking like record stopped playing and the cricket started chirping. Everybody was high as shit, but like I walked in, I just got a bunch of people staring at me like this. And I was like, "Hey, um, here to train." They're like, "Oh yeah, man, come like you know super welcoming first day." Obviously, died multiple times, and I was like, "Man, I had a 16 year old kid who's like, I'm gonna be a marine when I get older." Literally, just fucked me up.
2: Um, yeah.
0: and so, yeah, this is, the most humbling experience, but I think when you talk about the frequency and the reps of Academy training is that agency in Florida, Jacksonville, I believe, um, they're actually doing great things, right? They have a bunch of black belts. I mean, I think it's like seven black belts that are cops, yeah, um, all legitimate black belts. Uh, from, from what I understand, I never met any of them. Um, I haven't even spoken to any of them, but you know, they have a phenomenal program and then they actually, I think. I think the big ordeal was they all graduated as blue belts uh, at the end of the UK. They all got handed a blue belt, not everybody, but yeah. like 98%. And that was where everybody started getting kind of weird. Like, why is it a belt thing? Why can't it just be a skill thing? And yeah. you know, the traditional guys were like, why? Cause for me, it took me three and a half years to get my blue belt. And I'm like, these yeah. motherfuckers got it in seven months. That's <laughs> bullshit. Like I busted my fucking dick five days a week for three <laughs> years to get a blue belt and they get it in yeah. seven months. Um, but you know, That doesn't matter. It's what they're doing. And I I, I think slowly organizations like yourself are starting to kind of bring that kind of more to light. It is, is, Hey, here's a newer standard. That's really showing success with data. Yeah, And there's nothing better than that. And again, you're going to have your people, but from what you guys have seen, what has been the biggest pushback that you guys have encountered, whether it's in your own agency or from other people within your, uh, within your organization?
2: Uh, I think the biggest that I've seen and heard from in regards to training is the injuries, like the the workers comp stuff that comes out of it. It's really a catch too when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I always tell people every encounter is a potential use of force. And especially in California with the new 835A, if, if you're not doing some kind of grappling some kind of martial art to keep your skill, your hands-on proficiency up on your own. You are fucking crazy. You, shooting waiting to happen. You're uh, one bad use of force. Encounter away from uh, charges being brought against you. So the, the training is important. But then at the same time, there's not a lot of departments that offer a lot of training in house for grappling. We're very, very lucky. We're very fortunate. Uh, the guy who runs our arrest control program, he's really. As Josh said earlier, he's forward thinking. He's worked with our administration and built our program up. So right now we have three grappling classes that we offer kind of um, in-service in type thing. But we still get injuries, and there's sometimes there's there can be pushback for that. Or we get guys that now that we have, I'd say, what, 30 to 40% of the department's grappling on their own yeah. or with us in our classes. You know, they're going out to their gyms, and they're getting injured. Yeah,
1: I would say 20. We'll say 20. 25, 20? 25. Yeah, 20 percent
2: yeah but it's higher compared to most i mean some places don't have anybody who's who's rolling right and uh or grappling but i think that's the biggest worry is the injuries and especially with staffing now
1: in california you're seeing everybody so leaving for the hills and running yeah. for the hills not when they can and so we'll t- let's dive into that a little bit right like we talk about like that is that is 100 percent. i think specifically if we're specifically talking about pushback related to realistic, we'll call it what it's called in, in, in case law, realistic training, the biggest pushback from agencies uh, is, is injuries and workmen's comp claims. Okay. But how much does that cost you in the long run in comparison to one controversial shooting? Right. Exactly. I know it well, the agency I worked for before is, constantly dealing with controversy and it can destroy an agency um let alone in, in, in the individual officer involved um whether justified or not the people around him different agency or the, the entire agency uh community um credibility um all of that right like it's all interconnected so i think that's the issue i i was talking to ken about you i was listening to your podcast ken and i were talking. Um, we have these conversations on a regular basis and and also to be straight up about like who we're talking about with who runs our program his name's chet schneider he's a sergeant a black belt in judo um purple belt in jujitsu he's a freaking he's a nerd and he's phenomenal that was dangerous. So, um, he's a phenomenal dude we we are working on um trying to push forward good quality training that has an impact right in order to do that, you're going to have injuries along the way. And it's going to take understanding from an administrative standpoint that, that those things are going to happen. We exist right now in what I believe to be the, the police training renaissance period. We have people like you in your podcast. There are people all over Instagram. Social media has connected people in ways that it, it hasn't before before. Um, I see that, you know, um, listening and learning about Chad Lyman, C4C and PJJ program. You've got people up here in, in our program that we're doing a good job locally in our in our organization, but connecting with people all over the state of California in this use of force association. And it's been it's just crazy how everybody's coming together trying to solve these problems. But the timing is right. Right. So looking at what's our biggest issue, what's the biggest pushback as an association with what we're selling as far as like the emphasis on training, the biggest pushback is is culture. But the people of the United States have stood in streets, throwing Molotov cocktails at buildings, lighting our cities on fire over the last four years, five years, six years, demanding something change, right? Right this is the time it's it's kind of it's unfortunate that had to take some because i'm not i'm not at all think that a lot of those things are justified i'm just simply saying like the outpouring and outcrying for change happens to coincide with guys like you and us trying to change our our organizations from the inside right and so i there's some good in that i guess you know there's some silver lining in that the mission is to be better yeah i mean it's i mean it's
0: not a complex one. Yeah. Uh for us. Right. When you talk to politicians and legislators or even some command staff, it seems to be very hard to understand. And just like you said, we talk about injury and liability. You know, my biggest um input there whenever I speak with people about this. Oh, well, you can get injured in jujitsu. You can get fucking injured walking across the street. Yeah. Yep. Right? Like two, I would rather I would prefer to be in a controlled environment where I can say tap or, hey, Josh, call 911. I think my bones snapped in half, right? As opposed to being in a critical incident and not having a fucking clue what to do where I could physically or verbally tap and nothing happens. I'm, I'm still getting dead or my ass beat, right? So, you know, just like you said, one bad use of force costs what? Millions and millions of dollars, right? Imagine... It's just risk versus reward, right? Imagine if we were to take that money, invest it into into our officers. Now, I'm not saying again that does boil down to the kind of instructors, right? I've had jujitsu instructors where I'm like, God, please don't use me for a demo because I'm like <laughs> I'm be destroyed, right? Like he sits an S mount on your chest for 15 minutes trying to explain, you know, how to do an on top arm bar, right? And I'm like. know, please don't pick me, but then you know, we have to make sure that we have the right instructors, we have the right curriculum, we have the right routes we're taking, uh, we have the right implementation of certain curriculum, because if not, just like you said, it takes one and then it's shut down for the entire agency. And that's and this is why it takes not you say like experts, but people that that are well versed in this stuff. Guys like Jay Wadsworth and Chad Lyman. Yeah.
1: So I want to meet both those guys.
0: Yeah. I mean Jay's Jay's absolute jam up guy. Um, He's absolute, absolute unit, you know, but those guys have it down to a science, the Invictus guys, they are really pushing this and, and and they're pushing it for the right reason, right? They're not pushing it for the fame and the glory, um, you know, like some other companies will do, you know, we've all had friends get injured and or die in the line of duty and it means something to us. And it's almost like we objectively look at that and say, is there something that we could do differently because I don't want another – I don't want another friend of mine or another colleague of mine to be in that similar situation and not and not have a fighting chance in hell, right? Like let's give them skills that aren't necessarily hard to acquire, right? Let's give them a set of skills that that – will give them a chance that will help them thrive. Really you don't want to give them a chance. will help them thrive in a situation. And I think we got to stop thinking of liability, liability, liability and thrive with confidence and justified use of force. Right. Just because, I mean, just like you said, there is a, a video that I recently posted down in Florida where a cop was attacked. All of a sudden the ass baton came out. Right. And all it looks like he's doing is swatting a fucking fly. Right. Like not doing shit.
1: And it's oh, like, Oh yeah. I watched this. I watched. Yeah. It. And it's, it's, am I going to piss everyone off if I say asp is a terrible tool? May I say that? <laughs> no, bro. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thing, dude. No man.
0: Like, I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's good better, be better luck with a gel point pen. Oh, Jesus mm-hmm.
0: Christ. But like why? Because now I'm going to, I'm going to go off topic here. But now you have companies that are like, what can we build? What tool can we build to help? Well, let's do this bowler wrap thing. Okay, cool. Now we're gonna have a Batman belt tool thing. That's now gonna take more rope on our belt. It's gonna be loud as fuck. We can only use it in certain areas that are wide open. Uh,
1: I and- want to go. I don't want to go on tangent. Have you been shot with that thing? No. Yeah, we we had. They came out and they shot one of our guys with that thing. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, it's not about what we thought because we were we we're like, hey, you know, we're open to whatever, you whatever, I'm sure, whatever, whatever works to solve the problem, but. They shot one of our guys with the thing and he's a mediator and uh, he looked at us like this would not, this is not going to stop me from eating someone's face off. And so we were right. like, thank you for your time, you know, but Sorry, you know, man. Hey, you know, keep, keep inventing people. Keep inventing. Yeah.
0: I mean, right. But this thing is again, how much do those cost? Yeah. you're talking yeah. $500,000 to outfit, uh, you know, probably like a medium sized agency. Right. I say medium, like three, 400 people. Right. And then why don't we take that money and build a fucking mat room? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like why because it, again, we're not fixing just like you said, we're putting a band-aid on the situation. I'm not saying we should stop inventing tools. We yeah. should always love technology and and the advancements, but the mind we're behind still, the mind behind
1: the tool is much, much right, more. Right,
0: right. We have we have to fix because again, you guys know from you know just from a straight jujitsu background, jujitsu is not just about controlling, it does things to your mind. Correct. Right. It makes you, you know, of course the you were, you are comfortable being uncomfortable. The most like mm, quote everybody says, but it's true. It's super true. It slows things down, makes you more body aware, makes you physically stronger. Right. But those things are just, they just see, they just see liability. They don't see, you know, we're cultivating people's skills to reduce liability. They don't see it like that. You know, you guys see it like that. And guys, guys that, have the experience see it like that. But again, what do you guys think it's going to take to make these, I don't want to say non-believers, but these, these people who give us pushback, what do you think it's going to take?
2: I think going back to what you said about liability, if we could change or somehow find ways to shift the focus of where that liability is, take it off. Well, our guys are getting injured To What about liability of the injuries to the suspects? You know, we could use more effective force, to reduce injury to them and, and have an effective arrest. You know, cause you're talking about the tools and you know, all these, you know, more tools on our belt and they're great when they work, but what's at the end all, what we talked about in the beginning, you still got to put handcuffs on them. You said there's done a taser that, you know, after the bar comes out, the, the handcuffs shoot out and, and wrap the dude up afterwards. You
1: still have to go do that. Writes
0: down idea. Of how
1: the <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't invent that. That takes all the fun out of it. That won't be fun. <laughs> so if we can, if we can
2: uh, switch that liability. I think in our department, our department is very grappling permissive. We are extremely lucky to have the department administration that we have, um, that allow us to do that, but the injuries do still come up. And I think the way that we get where we can find the ways and find the, some kind of evidence based approach to, to showing how effective that the grappling that we're doing, the training <laughs> we're doing is to help reduce on the street to reduce our officers injuries. And to also reduce injuries to the suspect, I think everybody's going to be better for it. Yeah. Are you
0: guys collecting data at your agencies on uses of force?
1: I, yes. yes, I am. That's great. So the thing is, but, you know, even talking about data, what he's talking about, like, we need to, we again, and it comes from voices, right? Like our voice is going to be, our message As from calfia is, we're spending so much time, Collecting data on things that are not going to change decision-making, right? Uh, we need to collect data and do research projects on things that are going to change decision-making. If that's what it's going to require, if it's going to require an actual study that proves it to you in hard fact, like, look here, if you train people under stressful circumstances over and over and over and over again, then they make better decisions in stressful circumstances. If we really have to do that... To talk specifically about police officers, so I'll, I'll say an analogy. I'll share an analogy with you that I share sometimes with our citizen academy, right? And it goes like this: like I, I'm not, I don't watch football anymore. But you, you, know, you ask me, like, hey, you know, do you watch football? Yeah, I do. What's your, you know, favorite sport? Right. Let's talk about quarterback. I don't know anything about football right now. I stopped watching it. You know, you know when I stopped watching it. Uh, Tom Brady gets paid to make decisions. Split-second decisions in moments of stress. Let's take the Super Bowl, okay, for example, okay? Tom Brady's been playing football since he was seven or earlier, maybe, right? Tom Brady may have been, and I don't know, but Tom Brady may have been raised in a football family. So from the time he was born, he had a football in his hand, and he was thinking about football, and football was an idea, and football was a concept, and the word football, and the, these, the, the, the language was being used, and then he started training at a young age and then he started, you know, p- uh, peewee football and then from peewee football went to junior football and then junior football to high school football. And high school football started strength training and conditioning and doing summer double days preparing for high school football. And then he goes to college and in college he gets he's watching game film. He has nutritionists. He has physical therapists that are learning kinesiology in college to help him out. He's getting uh, the proper uh, nutrition. He's He eats, lives, breathes, drink football. And then he is at the top of his game, and he gets to go to the NFL where the best doctors and researchers and sports physiologists, et cetera, are throwing money at Tom Brady to make Tom Brady make better decisions for the w- potential that he's going to go to the Super Bowl, okay? And then he does. And in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady makes mistakes. And at the end of it, on Monday, if Tom Brady loses, the entire nation goes, hey, well, you know, don't be a Monday morning quarterback. Hmm. But a police officer can be sitting on his couch playing PlayStation, decide, I want to be a cop. Six months later, he's graduated the police academy. He's out in the middle of the night in your neighborhood being asked to make decisions that are Super Bowl level decisions. But if he me- me- messes up, if he throws an interception, if he makes a fumble, somebody dies. What are we doing as a nation when we're allowing that and we're expecting perfect results? What are we doing as an agency if we're allowing that and we're expecting perfect results or where you talked about your unjustified shooting I don't know the circumstances, but where the onus and the responsibility is solely placed square on the shoulders of that individual making the decisions. And not the system behind it, correct? You know what I'm saying, dude? That is a really good analogy. I how think important just- is that? I mean, if you—I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting passionate. Okay, no, good. Ahead, go ahead. If you value human life, you got people who are posting crazy stuff on their Instagram about how much they value human life, right? If you value human life that much, why are we not investing in it?
0: Why are we not training like it? Why are we not training like it?
1: It doesn't make any sense to me because at the end of the day, people want to be able to say what they say and then they want to be able to go on about their business and if a cop gets charged or killed, it is what it is. You go to his funeral, you see a little sad thing on the news. You're like, ah, whatever. You see a little, you know, oh, cop convicted, ah, whatever. And we move forward and it's just bureaucracy. It's government bureaucracy. Just (laughs) just repeat.
0: Yeah, and that's a really good, I guess you could say it's kind of a story in a way. Um, it's a story of reality. You know, <laughs> we talk about people posting. You know, how many times in y'all's career, starting out, were you like, fuck, I shouldn't be alive right now?
1: <laughs> I just Every, my hand. If, you, yeah.
0: if you don't raise your hand, I want to live <clears> there. <throat> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's one reason why I started Police Post. I fucked up. One, I I had one big fuck up when I was, I f- I first first uh, I first got in the academy. I was on FTO, and there was a guy that was passed out at a green light. So of course, like I get out of the car, I'm, I'm right behind him. And the dude's just he's hammered, drunk, fucking hammered, and he just got back from the golf course. And I'm like beating on his window, beating on his window, beating on his window, and nothing. Car still in drive, and of course, I'm I'm on the passenger side. I'm, I'm beating on it because I was told passenger side approach. Only 10-4. Understood. Affirm. So beating on it. I'm like, you know what? Let me go to the driver's side. Maybe he just can't hear me. So I walk around the front of the car, right? Just nonchalant walk in front of the car. Guy ends up getting up. I call a trooper. I'm like, this is your ship, bro. Handle this. Um, well, I get back in my I get back in my car and I'm like, that car is still in drive. I walked in front of it just like la la la. Mm-hmm. Like just it, it was like the dumbest thing, like everything was fine, whatever. But I'm like, dude, what if that dude woke up in a panic and saw yeah, yeah. a fucking a fucking green light? I'd have been yep. <laughs>
1: right?
0: like and I thought of that. I was like, man, let me your whole life reduced
1: to a sound. Your whole life reduced to onomatopoeia, dude,
0: bro. Right, like dumbest shit. me be like he was a hero. The fuck he was? <laughs> He's a fucking idiot. Um, you know, and that's like. But that goes that goes exactly to my point. Like,
1: so the, that 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 example you gave of that that lapse in judgment, right? That I I believe that it comes from it comes from it's hard to stay switched on all the time right you can it's it's mentally it's it's mentally exhausting to stay switched on all the time um and so you have to choose when you are and when you're not and you have to really really take advantage of the the rest periods in between the times you should be switched on etc um but i think those decisions the decision to walk in front of the car those decisions get made it, down the chain right like the, the decision to, as an administrator or whoever it is making the decision on who they're going to send as their training person or whatever it is. And they go, well, we have the option of choosing this person. They may be the best position for this, for this assignment, but you know, so-and-so put in for it a lot of times. And so, you know, and they're nice and they deserve it. So, you know, we'll, okay. we'll give it to them. Right. And it's like the, the, it's, we do it. We get complacent with decision-making. We get complacent with, you know, if you're going to talk about street uh, the street examples, like being, you know, where you decide to be in a car and everything and how you decide to treat somebody in public, those decisions are super important, but it also, th- that decision-making goes all the way up the chain. Right. And, and, and it, oftentimes, and sometimes it can have lasting, uh, it can have cultural, you know, issues in the agency, or you can have lasting, you know, lasting issues within the agency organization. So.
0: Josh, you got a really good point, um, about being switched on. Um, you know, something I say all the time is the biggest threat to law enforcement is law enforcement itself, right? Just the nature of the profession will fuck you up if you let it. I say that all the time. Um, and, and two, and this kind of, this kind of comes back full circle about kind of being switched on, you know, uh, stress obviously can, can, can be very detrimental to one's health, one's longevity. Um, you know, especially if you work, a high call volume area, high crime area, you're going to see a lot of shit. You're going to be switched on more and more. It's going to be very hard for you, even on your days off, to not to not be situationally aware, which you should always be situationally aware, but let's be honest, sometimes it's good just to fucking crack open a beer and fucking stare at the ocean or into a fire pit for fucking an hour, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the skill and knowledge of one person will then give them the confidence, right? And then being so switched on all the time, you're not switched on like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? You're you're going to be like, okay, I know I can do this. Mm-hmm. That's going to also give a state of not in the same like complacency or, or relaxation even, but just a sense of just overall ability and confidence, right? If you're confident that, Hey, all right, if this guy starts to pull away from me, I know I'm going to grab a, you know, I know I'm going to grab his waist. I'm gonna get behind him. I'm gonna do, a, you know, I'm gonna do a, a trip takedown or whatever, you know, whatever options that you have,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, whatever you're confident in. I think that's a really good point as to why it's important to train at a higher level and have proper training so that, so that you're not overly stressed in these situations and you're not, you know, again, you're going to have the adrenaline dump. You're going to have all of these things. We know this is going to happen, but the idea of being so confident to where you're super under control, your breathing's controlled, you're not going into condition black, you're not doing all these crazy things with your body. I think that's a, a really good push. As well to say, hey, look, you want longevity out of your officers. You want them to stay on 10, 15, 20 years without wanting to get the fuck out at five, right? Give them the proper the proper training so they so that they are confident kind of in their abilities. And that was actually just that was something really good you brought up about, you know, kind of being switched on. Because I, I think that the recovery level of that is is something that a lot of people do struggle with. I know I struggled with it. I was like, man, I got to make sure my, got to make sure my kid's in the car, rifle's in the car. Even like, even like my personal car, I'm like, just make sure all my shit's in there in case shit pops off. Like that's, I'm not saying don't be prepared, but it's also like, bro, you're going to the beach with your family. Like, you know what I mean? Like just, just be normal for a second. Like I'm not saying don't carry a gun, you should always carry a gun, but like you're on the beach with your family and you're like, threats everywhere. (laughs) I mean like, you gotta just, you gotta just learn to decompress.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. a hard thing, man. Like that's it is. that's a hard thing. Uh, uh, just I'm gonna piss off all the preppers out there, dude. But like, <laughs> um, specifically from my own personal experience, you're talking about like attention, right? And like what a per- what a human can attend to, um, correct? And what a human can attend to under stress, um, and tying all that stuff back to like like training and performance the science shows that being a you know, increasing your training, the frequency of training a human then has the ability to attend to different things under stress. Right. And then that stress load goes down over time. But specifically with law enforcement, we're talking about, you know, martial arts stuff, but we're not going to get killed in real life. But specific specifically with law enforcement, you can have hormonal arousal during, you know, during those things, you're gonna have hormonal arousal during a shift. Um, and yeah, uh, I have, you know, after my ambush, I remember um, I had to take a break from, and and people say what you want, but uh, I had to take a break from carrying a gun around professionally for my, like for a job and for my thing. Like, and people can say, well, you know, you have an obligation to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not talking about like a long break, you know, a couple, I did like a couple of months, right. And I took, I took two months off. And I had a couple of months where I was just like, it feels good to just be a, a gray man going into Home Depot and not being constantly focused on on threats everywhere. That's obviously not a good practice to, to get into, you know, for a long period of time. But it's what I needed at that, that time for me, specifically for me to be able to get through what I was getting, going through, right? That's just, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's situational. I think you really, you have to... Uh, assess, you know, a lot of times, like, where are you going? Right. Like if I'm going to go into the, you know, into the greater Bay area, you know uh, you know, I'll say San Francisco, for example. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to carry, I carry my firearm, right. Like, but you know, uh, if, if I'm taking the kids to the beach and, you know, sometimes even then, most of the times I will, but again, it's just, it, you, I think with time, with experience, you learn how to recognize the stimuli that's going to help. That's going to tell you like, Oh, okay. Like this is what I need to kind of, this is the the mindset that I need to kind of be in. Right. And again, I know I'm throwing a lot of bullshit out there because there's people no, that are going to say, you never know. You never know. I, I know you never know. Like I, I experienced it. Right. But like, it's one of those things that's kind of like driving a car, right? Like I, I know I could die in a head on collision driving a car, but I still drive a car. Right. Like I still drive a car. Every right? like And yeah, yeah, every day. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, Josh, uh, thank you for sharing that. What you just said was real, bro. Like that's, that's, you know, you had to take a break. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's what you had to do for you. That's super important. Um, because you matter. Right. And to kind of tie it back to the training stuff, we can get back on topic here is you guys do this because you care, Mm -hmm. right? Like, my new favorite little heading on uh, Instagram now is "I'm angry because I care." Uh, whenever I post memes, oh yeah, um, it's just because I'm not angry, but I do care. Um, I am a mission-driven person first, always have, always will be. Um, and you guys are the same way. And this is this is why I'm so glad you guys are now coming on to share to share what you guys do because um, it's it is real. It is an issue. It's a real big issue. Mm-hmm. And I think what you guys are doing is going in the right direction. And, you know, I wish you guys the best. I'm definitely looking to working with you guys, pushing your mission in California. Super, super important, um, especially in California, man. It's just like you said, California's a, a tough state. It's a lot of heat, but it's good to know there there are some good guys that are still And there's a lot of great guys in California, man. It's, it's just the fucking media really does portray... California is an absolute complete shithole. I mean,
1: well, you know, they like LA. The media likes LA. They, you know, especially with police stuff, right? Like the media really likes focusing on LA and and you know anything anything that happens with LA, like you know the bomb thing, the EOD thing, you know that blew up, and it's like suddenly you know it's an issue with you know uh there's somehow the media is able to tie that into like you know they were you know purposefully detonating explosives in communities that are you know lower socioeconomic and what it's like no i'm actually on the eod it's like no it's actually like what they were doing they just made a miscalculation <laughs> right like they, what they do is something we do all the time it's just they just made it they made a serious miscalculation with weights right like so but they like to spin that they the media likes to spin the story and then that becomes that becomes truth right like a truth said a thousand times or whatever four thousand times become or i'm sorry a lie told it four thousand times becomes a truth um that's that's what they do and what we're trying to do is we're trying to put a yeah, we're trying to break through that and we're trying to put real information out there so we can focus on what's real, right? We're in a time right now where we're focusing on police reform when, and I don't know the exact same numbers, but I'll throw something stupid out there, like 30 million contacts, police contacts a year. We're talking about a thousand, uh, a thousand officer involved, about a thousand officer involved shootings a year. Um, and then we're talking about an even smaller portion of those shootings um uh depending on what ethnic demographic or ethnic background those shootings are dealing with 200 300 whatever it is and then we're talking about the even smaller sliver of sliver of well the unarmed ones right and it's minuscule and and that that minuscule error the and and I don't even call those unarmed errors cuz then you have to really take those unarmed ones and you have to even s- slice those ones down into the real bad one, right? Like the real bad one. And then you go, that is what we're focusing all of this effort on police reform on um, the, that very, 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 slim chance of error. But we're also focusing the police reform that we're doing this, these reforms, we're focusing on the wrong area, right? By and large, we do it the right way. If you look statistically at what we do, we do it the correct way. 99.9% of the time, right? It's great. <laughs> Going back to jujitsu, uh, and we've we've been talking about jujitsu a lot, and a lot of the po- podcasts I hear we talk about jujitsu. But I think one thing Chad was talking about, and it's true, is that it's not it's not so much just jujitsu, right? Just like jujitsu, like you were talking about tools earlier, uh, bola wrap, uh, taser, etc. Jujitsu is a tool. It's really, it's we're talking about the mind behind the tool. Jujitsu is a tool. Um, it's, it happens to be a tool that trains your mind, right? But like again, like Chad was talking about, like. Mixing in, striking, boxing, judo, takedowns, et cetera. Like all of those things are important because they're all encompassing and it really changes the the dynamic. Oh, a hundred percent.
0: You know, <laughs> I have a, I have a few group chats that I'm in with, with a bunch of jujitsu guys and there was a, I post a lot about jujitsu on the page. I'd like, Oh, just, you know, if you're a blue belt, uh, whatever, you know, this is my thing is, is, is you know, sports jiu-jitsu or competition jujitsu and, you know, you know, self-defense or even like police jujitsu. Sure. There's a difference, right? Um, I think that Ari from Invictus, I, I had a podcast with them. He used the term um, technique bypass, right? Which I thought was such a really good term,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, because it really shows the specificity to what law enforcement needs. You know, I was thinking about this. You take a competitive blue belt, and put them against literally anyone uh i'm gonna put money on that com- on that competition level blue belt every single 10 out of 10 times i don't care if they've never even thrown a strike in their life mm-hmm. if you're like oh I'm, I'm a professional whatever like okay well this dude's gonna give you a really good run for your money i think the point of what i was getting to is is you don't need much to be very good Correct. Right. Um, So I'm saying like just a competition blue belt. When when people say blue belt, they're like, oh, it's like he's just starting jiu-jitsu. But a competition little jiu-jitsu or even just a basic – because, again, I'm a blue belt. I've been a blue belt for three years now. Um, That does not reflect my skill level for the record.
1: Um, (laughs) It's okay, bro. I have the blue belt blues too, dude.
0: It's all good. But, you, you know, again, just at my skill level, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, um, I'm pretty now. Grant, I've been training for about six years now. I'm 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 pretty confident. But even two years, even a year, um, I wasn't dying as much. I was still dying, but I I wasn't dying against guys who were who knew more than me. Yeah, as you know, you know, as fast. So now, if you take these guys and you give them a little bit of striking, a little bit of MMA, a little bit of takedown defense, a little bit of judo, I think that wrestling. everyone's like, oh, you need wrestling. Wrestling is very hard to teach, right? From a shooting standpoint like i never wrestled so i would never hit a double leg on somebody like i would never hit a blast double on somebody now i might go for a single but you know i think there's certain aspects of wrestling that are extremely beneficial i think it's just much harder to also find a purely wrestling school unless you yeah. go to like a high school yeah um that's why i think people also don't have uh they don't really understand what jiu actually is this is like oh well, you need judo and you need wrestling, you don't need jujitsu. And I'm like, well, if if you, if you train jujitsu, there's going to be aspects of those two disciplines in jujitsu, at least, at least now there is right. At least like a modern jujitsu, you see a lot more guys wrestling, a lot more guys doing judo and stuff like that. But, um, you know, what do you guys kind of feel is, is the right combination of, of arts?
2: I'm kind of with you. I think there's a place for striking in law enforcement, but I, I think ultimately the best things are takedowns and grappling um, I think that's the best way to reduce injury to everybody. You do those things. You're basically obtaining a superpower. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about as you progress and, and people beating or be- getting beat less, but that's due to her training. Think about all the guys, most of the guys that were out on the street contacting and having to affect arrest, Most of them don't have ground skill. It's exactly. just caveman stuff. So to be able to stay calm and then be able to impose your will to affect arrest on Something might be bigger than you or stronger than you, but has no skill. Even if you are uh, high white belt level with a uh, little, some takedowns, you are most likely going to be more
1: successful. Not, not to say it's going to be uh, 100% of the time, but your chances are way greater. If you think about, so uh, I actually, Ken and I were having this conversation in kind this of little bit like mini case study. Uh, we were down uh, doing some joint training with the last Los Angeles uh, Sheriff's <laughs> department uh, two weeks ago. Um, they were finishing their academy, their academy class up. And then they do this drill at the end, they call their rock down and they take their whole academy class and they push them through. Like, you know, they got to, you, you've done it. Like you got to run, but I will say this though. Shout out to, uh, shout out to guys on the, um, the, uh, LASD, uh, arrest control team. They're all animals and they are very good at what they do and they know what they're doing and their program is very is based in the things that you need to know a little bit of what you need to know, right? Some striking, some takedown, some, some ground stuff. So we go through and everybody has to go through like, you know, different stages. And so they come to the grappling stage. And so Ken and I are there and we're just dummies for them because they need bodies to get, to get this done with 84, uh, training recruits. Right? So you can imagine the toll it takes on the instructors that are, that are doing it. So Ken and I are trading off wrestling with these dudes, you know, whatever. And we get done with it. And I'm like, you know, it's crazy because I'm just a blue belt. I've been training in mixed martial arts for with Jerry, but Jerry didn't do belts. And so now I'm in Gi Jiu Jitsu. I'm a blue belt. But we're rolling with these these dudes. And this is a cross section of people who represent our society, right? And so you got 84 people that woke up and decided they want to be police officers. They want to actually go into the fray, right? Of those 84 police officers, nobody there could deal with the amount of pressure that we were putting on top of them, the amount of control that we were giving them. Right. And at one point I was one of them, but with the training and the time you gain the skill level. So if you look at just that cross section, these are people who want to do this job. Then you have to add in all the people who don't go to the gym and don't work out and don't want to be police officers and haven't been through a police academy. You take that cross section of society other than the very slim uh, population of hard-nosed gangsters that train in jiu-jitsu and and mma and backyard fighting etc you're going to have a pretty good you're going to have a pretty good grasp of what you need to know to bring somebody under control right so like you talking specifically about jiu-jitsu and not so much sport jiu-jitsu but just like core jiu-jitsu fundamentals it's the science of control and that's, that's what it. police officers need, right? That's what police officers need to get a position into a position for handcuffing. And so a good make- So Ken and I now recently, we start slapping the shit out of each other while we train jujitsu. Like we, oh, combat we will stuff. straight yeah. up slap just randomly. It'll start as a friendly, friendly rolls on Sunday. And then all of a sudden, yeah, bro, somebody, it's of roll. Yeah. somebody will get popped. It's up. not somebody. <laughs> he always, he
2: always smacks me first.
1: <laughs> I'm just waiting for it.
0: So all right, some so, bitch. It's on now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, so I'll,
1: I will say, like, yes. We roll, and then I will get a smirk on my face, and then I'll smack the shit out of him. And so, and then it turns into he—he's a brown belt, so he—it turns into like, oh, now I'm on my back, and now I'm underneath somebody who's now smacking the shit out of me. And you re- realize really quickly, being on your back while you're getting hit, not fun, not fun. It oh, changes, yeah. can, it changes everything, you know. So that's the thing about like jujitsu versus sport jujitsu. And you know uh, martial arts, you know theory-based type stuff, and I'm talking specifically like lapel guards and de la Hiva and things like that. Like, yeah, those things don't have a great application to real life, real true getting hit in your face. And then add in, then add in as Ch- Chad was talking about, add in, and I think what what um, Jay does, which is amazing, just watching him. And I haven't been to his class, but just watching him and seeing where he's coming from is add a gun belt into that, and all yeah. my weapons add in the the environment, what neighborhood are you in, et cetera. And like things get weird really quickly. you know? Yeah. And and you
0: know what? So, I mean, just to clarify my point is kind of what I was saying is a lot of people don't really understand uh, like the different degrees of jujitsu, right? So if you were to take a, someone who knows nothing, like, you know what? Oh, I could definitely take a blue belt. Okay. Let's put you against a competition level blue belt and you can strike like there's, They're still gonna fuck Oh, me. I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that that's that's what I was saying? But yes, I I agree. I think that the you know this is something that I also am training with and growing uh, on my journey is a lot of the conceptual information from certain positions, right? Um, like how to maintain a top pin, mm-hmm. just that how to manipulate yourself from a mounted position to a neon belly to a north south. Mm-hmm. How to be able to you know adjust my limbs so there's wedges. All around, build so, their body.
1: This is a good time to segue into talking about you a little bit, right? So let's do uh, it. I am a recent effective fitness convert. Okay. Oh, thank you. Uh, great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't see, the Adam is uh, waving to the crowd, the non-existent crowd. <laughs> yes. So um, you've put together a really good program. You put together a really my good team. Right? I suck. I I really 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 enjoyed the programming. I really like how you've added in things like that, right like like last week there was a uh, you call it top knee position but essentially neon belly type of uh, uh, yeah. transitions right and drilling Correct. the transitions of what does it take to move from this side of the body to that side of the body if you're trying to keep somebody under control and maintain balance from a modified standing position dude is I actually thought about it, I'm like, I never really drilled that. Like I, I, we drill that in, you, you do it in, in class, but right. like, I don't ever really drill, like take the time out to go, we're going to do 10 minutes of this. Like it's just drilling that transition. It's good stuff, man. I really
0: like it. And that was something that I kind of decided to do. Um, you know, I've been training jiu-jitsu for a while and I have a lot of guys here. Um, they're a core group of guys that are like absolute units, dude. Like they're, like they're going to ADCCs this year. Yeah. Um, one of my guys just trained for, uh, he just had his uh, first combat jiu-jitsu match And absolutely just mauled this dude. Um, Nice. (laughs) It it was, yeah, it was, again, like the combat jiu-jitsu stuff. For those that that don't know what combat jiu-jitsu is, basically jiu-jitsu is slapping, but you can't slap standing. uh, One person has to be on the ground or or something like that. I'm not 100% sure of the rules, but it's absolute brutality. uh, And it's amazing to watch. Um, Not to participate in. (laughs) Um, But it is fun. Um, Yeah, man, it was just kind of one of those things where it was like hand in hand, right? We know we have fitness. We know that our programming that we use is to make you better at other disciplines that are necessary in this job. One major discipline is obviously defensive tactics and, or control tactics, right? And so how do we implement that? Okay, well let's do it on a rest day where they can actually rep it out and get a very good explanation from, you know, uh, I think Jay is, Jay's a second degree black belt. Um, He's probably due for his third here soon. And, you know, someone who's been a cop for 20, 20 something. Years. He's been a cop for 21 years um, in New York. So high volume area. He was just in an incident not that long ago. I uh, was got shot in the face by a dude. walking to a car. Call me. Yeah, man. No, I'm, I'm good. I had to go train. I was like, oh, fucking animal, dude. But yeah, you know, he just does a great, a great job of really breaking down certain techniques. And, and I mean, just like the drilling, man, I, I can't stress enough, at least for me, in my own personal experience, you guys have a lot of experience on the other side over there. But drilling really helps me, right? Going going that, you know, hey, can we just do it with 10% resistance? Okay, let's kind of jack it up to 30% resistance. Okay, 50%, 60%, 70%. Now let's hover that 80% resistance. Let's do a lot of positional work, right? We do a lot of positional sparring. Um, we're on that. Whether it's uh, we're a big leg lock gym down here. So we, you know, we get stuck in 50-50 a lot for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where we have found a huge benefit of the positional work is just the small, fine details. And then when you do go live, you may not hit the technique 100 percent, but you hit it 70 percent. It still may be effective, may still get the desired effect. Is that is that, you know, you guys have a lot of experience in the grappling world. Does that does that make sense or is that is that
1: a good approach? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, but I think, you know, in talking about, I mean, we're, we're, we're heavy on the, you said, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you said, um, being, uh, uh having a, a root knowledge in, in a lot of different disciplines, et cetera. But like, it's also drilling is it's important in everything we do. We drilling the techniques that we do on, uh, on arrest control days, drilling the, the techniques and whatever, you know, martial arts discipline that you're going to be involved in, et cetera. Um, and all those things can, can help with a lot of different things, but it's, it's also important that we spend reps and we spend time drilling in other areas that aren't so sexy as well. Right. Like we haven't, we've been talking for what, and this is a good example of, we've been talking for, I think about an hour or so, we haven't even talked about case law or law. Right. And like drilling in what, you know, the actual authorities that allow you to do your job right and how you can do your job and when you can do your job and officers many officers deputies across the nation you go to ask people you know um hey what's graham versus connor and people are like ah, uh, that's the one with the orange juice right and it's like yeah okay it's a little more than orange juice but yes <laughs> you know what i mean and so Yes, um, drilling is important. Reps are important. Repping things out are, are important. This profession is uh, requires you to be a master of your craft. And again, like that's the Calfia message, right? It's like be a, you, that's not our actual mission statement, but like be a master of your craft. Be knowledgeable in all of these different areas, not just the grappling, uh, the, the personal body weapon stuff, not just the
2: case law, report writing, testimony. testifying. Right. All that being able to use all, all your tools on your belt. Like, you just,
1: just talked about recalling, right? You're like, oh, okay, you know, drill, 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 and then it comes time for to use it. And it's like, oh, I had an be- easier time recalling that technique. Okay, cool. You're sitting in a deposition, and the, the plaintiff's attorney asks you a question of, you know, I, I, we can't even use it anymore in California unless you're getting ready to die, but uh, carotid hold, right? Like, right. the officer used a carotid hold. Explain to me what that is, right? People are like, uh, <clears throat> uh, my, uh, I put my arm around his neck and then I was squeezing. You I know, and it's like,
0: hard, yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, man,
1: right? Like, people don't that have a Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, people don't have the ability. ability to just recall, like, to immediately recall and know what they need to say. Um, because, well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, for whose responsibility is it? We've talked about that, right? Like, whose responsibility is yeah. it? Agencies know that this old style of check the box training where you're like, hey, you're going to have your legal update today. Okay, cool. You come into class. You do your little legal update, right? You go through the motions. Do you really know that, right? And agencies know that they send guys out every night that don't really have all the information, don't know the information. But it's, it's, it's endemic of our industry, unfortunately, right? It is. And uh, again, it's just warm bodies on the street doing
0: what they do. Unfortunately, um, what it is now, I do feel like it's it's – it is becoming a little different now with uh, some of the older command staff kind of removing themselves um, and and guys such as yourself with the experience, you know, 15 plus years in are now, you know, hey, maybe I can get that lieutenant spot. Maybe I can get that captain spot. And then it's, hey, now you're that now you're that fucking guy where the younger officer like, hey, there's this new DT program that I want to go to training and you as a progressive individuals like go to it. Mm -hmm. We'll pay for it or, you know, go to it. We'll help you out. See, that's where the change is going to come from is guys like you getting the positions of quote unquote power uh, in order to kind of push. Because, dude, I've had we did our million dollar giveaway last year and I talked to 300 plus agencies. I talked to one chief in particular from a from Connecticut. He called me. He was like, hey, man, here's a contract just to make sure you guys don't sue us. Everything is free. We don't want to do it. Oh, okay. Why? Can you just tell me why? Um, yeah, it's just, it's just going to be too much work too much. Um, okay. So I was like, so you're just being lazy. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. not, yeah, yeah, not yeah. hard. It's, it's free. It's not costing yeah. you a dime. Well, you gotta talk to attorneys. Well, our attorneys is willing to talk to your attorney. Why don't you get the fucking nerds together and have them talk it out? Yeah. Like, and he was just like, no, I, that's bye. Okay. That's fine. But now who does that affect? Literally everybody below him. When I
1: hear you share that story, you know what I hear? I hear there was a conversation, a top level conversation that occurred in that agency along with some city attorney or somebody at the top, right? And there was a conversation and people were in the room and they weighed the pros and cons and they settled on the fact that there are cons. Now I'm going to guess or assume that the con involved in that was attached to some fear of lawsuit and deposition. And how do we explain this in a lawsuit etc i've had i've personally dealt with like hey i want to put a survey out right this is just a this not not at this court current agency everything's great here i love it okay but uh I, at previous agency i say yeah, i put a uh, survey out i'm like hey i want to do a survey of our arrest control and some of the questions centered on do you feel that you are able to retain uh information after these you know da da do you feel that the four hour block works for x y and z do you feel that this neither do you feel that frequent more frequent training with x y and z and I was told, like, "Hey, we cannot do that if we have a written documentation of." And I understand it; I understand it. But if there's a written documentation where you're admitting that there's a problem in your in the way that you're, you know, implementing your use of force teaching, uh, that could be that could cut against you in a lawsuit. And it's like, okay, like, how do we get better? And that's the problem. A lot of people, a lot of citizens, don't understand that, right? Like things that cut against us, we want to get better. In a lot of cases, we want to get better, but there's games we have to play with protecting the organization and the the, the the coffers of the organization from being penetrated by predatory attorneys, right? So it's oh, yeah. it's weird.
2: And I think, uh, you know, we talked a lot about, to go into that a little more, we talked about training, minimum requirements of the department, basically. Most departments give just the bare minimum basic requirements. You know, some of the onus of all this is on the individual officer to get better, be better, be like, I'm gonna have to use force today. There's a good chance because... I might have to arrest somebody or somebody might attack me. So I need to be better on all these skills we've talked about. But in terms of creating industry standards and things that make departments more apt to look at new trainings or offer more trainings in-house, is that's kind of what the association, what we hope to do as we get better, is we have all these people up and down the state going, hey, this should be the industry standard. This is what we all should start doing and get the buy-in that way, Mm -hmm. kind of from the ground level up. In. And it is like you say, like, uh, guys promoting, um, our current sheriff and undersheriff were at, former, uh, use of force instructors. And, and they are able to say yes, yes, yes. To these things. I mean, one of the reasons why I got talked into promoting myself was just that. So when these things come up, I can have a say or buy like, yeah, we should do that. There's a new graphism class. Yeah. Go to that. Here's a training request. Go. I want you to go to this to make yourself better.
0: And that's so important. It's, it's the people, that'll make the change, right? It's, it's the right people that'll make the change. And it just seems like you guys are super passionate about that.
1: Yeah. Um, from an association standpoint too, and this ties into what Ken was talking about, from an association standpoint too, we're really working hard to try to break down this bias that that range instruction, firearms instruction, and uh, arrest control instruction, they exist in two different houses. That they're, that they're neighbors that live next to each other, but they're not the same family our philosophy is that your brothers, you live in the same house under the same roof, right? Um, and from an association standpoint, we're heavy right now in our membership. We're heavy on arrest control instructors. Um, I say that we're instructors just because the instructor word is in the name of the association. It doesn't mean you need to be an instructor to join. You can be a regular deputy, regular officer, and decide that you want to join and and get this information and learn from people who who have have got this experience. Um, but we also want range instructors. We want canine guys. We want T- less, guys less less lethal people. people. We want we want taser because as you know, those decisions you don't get to go into the fight of your life and decide. Oh, it's just a jujitsu day today, right? Or Hey, it's, uh, I know jujitsu, I'm heavy on jujitsu, but, and this is going to be a jujitsu fight. No, no, no. This is a gunfight today. Right. So like those things, or maybe it's a gunfight that happens during jujitsu day. Those things are blending and those, the lines between those force options are not clear. Um, it is a very amalgamous, I want to say. Don't fact check me on that. I think it's a word. I'm not quite sure. I like it. Carry on. It's a, uh, (laughs) one thing can turn into the other. And I'm watching, and and again, we're in this use of force renaissance period where I'm watching really good instructors start to bring those concepts into the mat room and the mat room out onto the range and vice versa, right? And then then even on that, it doesn't need to be limited to that. Sometimes you're in a car a car race, you're on a racetrack chasing a vehicle, which then turns into a, a jiu-jitsu match, which then turns into a shooting. And so like these decisions are very complex decisions that happen in split seconds and right. Training at a high level, realistically, and having all those foundational tools overlap leads to better decision making.
0: I can't agree with that more. There is a situation that I posted um, when I posted, I looked it up here, uh, February 20th. Um, and it was of the, two troopers that made that uh, traffic stop and they went to go hands on. And he ended up uh, escaping the officers. Uh, I guess control was able to get to his car and retrieve a gun and shot both the officers. Uh, they both lived. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, you guys can go back and look at it. And I, I basically posted exactly what you said. Yeah. Like one incident could possibly involve communication VCQB. Grappling, firearms, tactics, firearms fundamentals, right? Like this is why, you know, being well-rounded, just like you said though, cops are humans, shocker, right? News (laughs) alert. And, And they do make mistakes. We have enough information now that we know what cops need, right? How do we get them what they need? And that is the sticking point is we have guys like you with, you know, you and your organization have experts or instructors that are well versed in certain aspects to where they can be extremely beneficial. But just like you said, it does come down to the individual officer and self-assessment. I feel like that's also a whole nother topic is for someone to look at themselves and go, what do I suck at? Where am I going to be weak at? Oh, well, I'll go to jujitsu tomorrow. I'll go to the gym tomorrow. But we know that you, if you put it off tomorrow, it's not going to get any easier tomorrow. It's yeah. not going to get any easier 10 days from now. Go to the fucking gym, go on the mats, go to the range, open up a fucking law book, learn the shit. Because the more you push it off, there's no way, shape, you, that you're going to get better at this. So I think what you said was absolutely 100% spot on. And I don't know if anybody disagrees with that. I don't know. Go away.
2: <laughs>
1: they should <laughs> stop mean, listening, listening, listening. listening. Yeah. yeah.
2: We we want to make all that stuff. We want to make an az- association. We want to make it easier for guys to access this stuff. And again, like I said, you don't have to be a force instructor. You, you should. This this organization is for you. If you wear a badge, if you're going on affecting arrests, this or this organization's this association is for you. We uh, to give the listeners a little more of what we offer. And yes, yeah, right easy, now this is a good time for that. Yeah. You know, uh, so we do a yearly symposium. Uh, this year, we're actually going to kick it up to two days. It's going to be September 22nd and 23rd at the, uh, Mariners Church in, uh, Irvine, California. Uh, the membership pays for admission to the symposium. Uh, and then on top of that, we also have uh, monthly zoom meetings. Uh, this is, this is again, this is a very collaborative, uh, association. Uh, a lot of guys are talking to each other and, uh, every month. It's kind of an open forum for guys to come in and talk about what's going on in their neck of the woods. We also try to have at the beginning of these uh, meetings, some type of update by somebody in the industry. Our last meeting, we had Dr. John Peters with the Institute for the Prevention of Incustody Deaths talking about recovery positions and uh, kind of the misnomer behind that terminology and talking about positional asphyxia. And then it gives you a chance to network. You can go on, access the website, uh, check out the videos, look at other people's training plans, and then have contacts for guys at departments all up and down California for you know, what's happening, what's happening in your neck of the woods, what are you guys doing different than us, what kind of uh, advice do you have for issues we're having here. And uh, like Josh said, it's, it's growing fast. It's starting to become a juggernaut almost, <laughs> almost too fast, but we love it. We love it. Never too fast.
0: Uh, just I want to add to that, uh, we do plan on being there in September.
1: Oh, probably. do you? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Coming out. Cool. That'd That's awesome. going to be good, man. I can't wait to have you guys out there I and get some, Absolutely. uh, ha- or talk face to face and share ideas. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, um, so
0: just so, yeah. So guys, uh, we're going to send a couple of our guys out there. I'm going to try to be out there as well, but I think we're going to send like three people.
1: Dude, nice. you, you are going to love it. Uh, this symposium, yeah. we're going to have three hour presentation by Dr. Peters, who is nice. a genius with relationship to the in custody death stuff and the language and all the medical phenomenon all the stuff that goes on with it the things you should know and things you should do and actions you should start taking or you should uh limit yourself from doing um if somebody's having some sort of uh you know difficulty after an arrest right a post-arrest incident um legal update is gonna be provided by phil downs who's a civil rights uh defense attorney here in california dude is Phenomenal! I'm literally giving you a list of people you should interview, and then uh, uh, de-escalation class or a threat assessment class, I believe, is it threat assessment or de-escalation? De-escalation class. Uh, is going to be presented by uh, Scott Savage of uh, Savage Training, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll do some. We're going to have some practical applications. Um, there'll be lunch. There'll be a social hour. It's going to be. It's going to be a good time, man, and it's going to be a room. Last year was 200 people, almost 180. 180 people. That's huge. You're in a, in a room with 180 to 200, this year hopefully maybe bigger, uh, of people who are like-minded innovators at their organizations trying to push this, trying to steer this gigantic behemoth of a ship in the right direction, right? That's amazing. So,
0: That's amazing. And so where can people find this information? Like what's the website and how do they sign up?
1: The website is www.calfia.org. Uh, Calfia is C-A-L-F-I-A.org. And I'll
0: link uh, this in the show notes, so
1: you yeah. can just click. And then you yourself. can also find us on our baby Instagram with like forty followers. Uh, <laughs> it's not at all anywhere near your your uh, your police post behemoth that you got with like, dude. You're I well, think are close to Kylie I'll Jenner. Dude. This
0: on, um, <laughs> I'll be able to post this on a police post. Uh, so whenever the episode goes live, um, I'll definitely link like this on there. Um, and then, you know, hopefully drive some traffic because we do have a lot of followers from California. Uh, and I think what you guys are doing is extremely important. Hence, why I wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, again, I know California gets a lot of heat, um, you know, in the news and, and everything else, but it's time to make a change. Um, it is a part of America, so we have to love you. Unfortunately, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no guys, I, I really do appreciate what you guys do. Um, You guys are on the front lines doing the work. I personally thank you for what you guys do. Uh, And I really hope that this can get the message out to cops in California or really anywhere to use you guys as a resource. Um, And we can provide links and and, and stuff like that in the show notes, 100%. Do you guys want to leave the listeners with anything?
1: I mean, the only thing I would say is that we we talked a lot about um, whose responsibility is it. And, and I think that there's a trend and I've heard you talk about it in your previous podcast where you're talking about, um, you know, there has to be some onus on organizations and not, and not and it's not just the organization. Really, what it boils down to is the community um, and the community deciding what they're going to invest their dollars in um, and what they want, what type of what level of service they want from the service uh, members in their in their local area. Right. But we're not there yet right and um we're not there yet unfortunately and so um the people that i have learned from didn't become experts because the organization that they work for sent them away to become an expert in what they they know right um they that came from inside them that came from inside their soul their heart uh they were driven towards that goal they picked up the the torch and they carried it Um, go train read read Uh, read law, read case law, immerse yourself in the subject of your profession. Um, and when I say immerse yourself, I mean, eat, drink, sleep, breathe it. Uh, if that's the level that you want to get to you, it's your responsibility. You don't get to choose, uh, when it's going to happen to you. Uh, the day chooses you, as you've said on your, on your podcast. And I believe that, um, immerse yourself in the subject or in the mat, in the subject matters, uh, train hard, uh, uh, strengthen your body, strengthen your mind, strengthen your spirit and go forth and do what people are asking us to do, which is to protect and serve and be good people for our communities because our nation is is hurting right now. And we need, we need it, dude. We are the light. And regardless of whether people want to recognize that or not, we're the light and that's it. Kenny. And I can't say it much better than that, except for we want to help facilitate
2: the things that uh, Josh was just talking about. Uh, that's what the association is all about. And for. So uh, please, uh, if you want to check us out, I think we'll have the uh, the website linked, and then my email as well. If you have any questions, please hit me up. And then once we make contact on an email, I'll give you my phone number, and I'll be I'm available twenty four seven. It is important twenty four
0: seven. Hear that, ladies
2: twenty yeah, four 24/7. seven. The uh, um, one last result.
1: It is important that Ken, Ken brought up a good point. California is in our name, but anybody can be a member. Yep. If you want to join, you can join. Um, the majority of our information is California specific with relationship to law and all that type of stuff. But if you want to join and you want to, and you want to get involved and you want to come to the symposium and you want to learn from some of these, uh, these, these leading guys in this field, do it.
2: And for my out of state brothers and sisters, look to, uh, look to California for use of force stuff that might be coming your way too. We might be a good, we're usually a good barometer of stuff that's going elsewhere. So it's true. Thank you for that. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Keep your shit in your own (laughs) state. If you would like to get in touch with Josh or Kenny, or if you have any questions about Kalfia, you can follow the links in the show notes below. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. New episodes launch on Monday every other week. Don't forget to check out Effective Fitness Training and stand by for EFT Combatives.